ora everyone and welcome back. We are back with another Elsa podcast for you. And today we're going to be talking about Asian perception. Recently we've seen a lot of violence against Asians in America and we thought that it would therefore be quite a pertinent time to talk about what it means to be Asian, how being Asian or rather being perceived as Asian has impacted us. So today I am your host, my name is Emma and I am Elsa's media coordinator for 2021 and I am joined by three wonderful other people who are going to introduce themselves now. Hi, I'm Emily. Um, I'm in the ALSA exec as the events coordinator and obviously a member of ALSA. Hey, I'm Moses. I'm just the third year law student. Just chilling. <laughs> Hi, I'm Emran and I'm a sixth year law student. Awesome. So I thought maybe we could just start by talking about our backgrounds a bit, like whether where we grew up and what that was like, like whether there were many other Asians in the area or whether we really felt like a minority. Um, guess I'll start. Um, yeah, so for me, um, my background is that my mother is from China, so she's an immigrant uh, to Wellington, and my dad is a Caucasian guy from Wellington. So I've kind of got that kind of like half Asian um, dynamic in my family. Um, I grew up in Wellington, and obviously I'm still in Wellington, going to Victoria. Um, I think in my community, I was surrounded by quite a lot of Asians because I would... I'm a violinist, or I was a violinist back like a couple years ago, and obviously um, in the musical community there's definitely a lot of Asians, and my mum knew a lot of other like young musicians and stuff, so through that I definitely did a lot of, um, like I had a lot of Asian um, representation in my life um, on that side, but then also because of my dad and my family all being white basically, um, there's that dynamic as well, so I, I would say I had a pretty like 50-50 sort of um, life in terms of having Asian people in my community but also having the other side as well of quite like the classic Kiwi like childhood basically, yeah. Mm. Well, for me, my father is Chinese and my mother is Mongolian and while I spent most of my years here in New Zealand having like a classic Kiwi upbringing, going to school and stuff. Uh, through family, I did also meet equally as many like Asian friends and just other families. And so there's always that kind of intermix between like Asian communities that live here and then um, just like normal school and just Kiwi like uh, culture and life. But um, when I grew up, I also moved to America in China f um, before coming back to finish high school. And so I kind of, I guess, got a glimpse of things in overseas, other countries as well, which honestly were pretty similar in some ways, but interesting. Mm -hmm. um, <clears throat> on my side, I guess, both my parents are Cambodian um, and they, are, they both came to New Zealand refugees from the Cambodian genocide back in the 70s and 80s. Um, and <clears throat> I guess in my experience though, so I, I've always thought that it was strange that I could distinguish so easily between like the Asian half of my life with all my family, friends and things, um, and sort of my Western half. And I think in particular, um, going to Scots College, which is a private school, 
I realized actually, I didn't realize then, but now on, in hindsight, um, there weren't that many Asian people there. Um, it was a deeply Western experience of how to, on how to view the world. Um, and I'm sure we'll go into that in this discussion as well about um, perceptions that I have of myself as a result of juggling uh, those two worlds. Interesting. Um, yeah, so in terms of background, my mum is from Malaysia and her parents were from China. And on my dad's side, um, well, my dad was adopted into a old Chinese New Zealand family. So I'm technically a fourth generation Chinese New Zealander on his side. So because of that I was not brought up with speaking Chinese or with what I felt was a very culturally Asian household. And although my first friend, who was a family friend, happened to be Asian, I grew up with mostly white friends and in a, in a community in school that is mostly Pakeha. So I felt like I didn't feel connected to my Asian side at, at all. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's really interesting because I think for me, even though I had like a community of Asians that my mum sort of um, had, like from her side, I also feel like when I just went to school, like something that you guys are sort of like a common theme is that there weren't a lot of Asians and you weren't connected to it through school. Mm. And I can absolutely like relate to that. Yeah. Like even though I had sort of like a side community, you know, like even when I'd see my friends from like my musical side, like at a school event or something it would be so weird like it'd be like a collision of worlds or something mm-hmm. and I it was almost like weird to see my white friends with my Asian friends like in my head they didn't even exist in the same universe and mm-hmm. I actually think that that came down a lot to like my schooling like even though I went to quite a liberal school I'm from Wellington which is I'd say pretty liberal um overall most of my friends at school were white and I was never really um asked to celebrate anything Asian about myself at school, I'd say. Moses, I was wondering, like, can can you tell us a bit about um, your experience in the USA compared to here? I mean, particularly now, it feels very relevant. Yeah. Oh, well, like, I think also I forgot to mention that I I think I'm a first generation because my parents moved here and, like, you grew up learning Chinese kind of a lot more, but... Yeah, going to America, I was a lot younger then because I was still in primary school. But honestly, and going there, my parents knew kind of just as many other Asian communities here. So it was kind of the same thing where um, outside of school, you've got Asian friends, you might go to Chinese school to learn. <laughs> but at school, you're majorly with other, like, you know, um, white people and, like, um, just you feel you don't feel like it's as easy to fit in but at the same time it wasn't like I feel like everyone kind of had um equal problems of fitting in even though you were maybe a little bit more different than other people and so in at that age it was um you know kids don't really care as much and there's not as much I guess like racism so it, it was good but I remember growing up my older brother um had a lot more problems and like he would he would tell me that like people at school would like form groups they'll literally like go into like um you fit in with this group because you're asian or you fit in with this group because you're white Mm. and it kind of sounded like like oh geez but we were in a pretty like um kind of a uh like a what 
it was Midland, Texas. So, um, oh, okay. <laughs> it, it, was, it definitely wasn't the most like, uh, uh, I don't know, like forward thinking kind of like place to live. Um, but in uh, saying that, there were definitely like really um, clear problems with you know people fitting in and accepting others because of you know where they came from or mm. their culture. And That's so interesting. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, there would be uh, cops at the public school my brother went to because there would be so much, like, violence. And sometimes he would say that there's just, like, blood on the walls. Um, mm. And insane. these were, like, I guess, like... I feel like this is kind of what you hear from America, like, with yeah. all the shootings and mm. kind of, like, violence that goes around. And so, like, I guess from back then, which was almost, like, 10 years ago, um, these problems are still, I guess, prevalent. Mm. And... Yeah. It doesn't seem to have changed as much. But in the primary school environment, you didn't feel like race was a big... It didn't seem like a big issue to you? Uh, nah. Well, I feel like by then everyone's too young. And, like, at that point, bullying is just straight-up bullying. Like, yeah. not on your looks or where you come from. Just, like, little kids fighting. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's right. Interesting. I feel like when it comes to like primary school, it feels really, it's an odd one because I mean, as a kid, I don't think I thought a lot about how the world would see me as Asian. But at the same time, I think in print, like inside, I did know that that was a thing because I remember just like little moments, like wishing my family was like that family or just wishing that, like I, I sort of consciously knew that I looked different to other kids. But I, I couldn't quite, it's like I hadn't quite identified that it was race that was the thing. Mm, so I was true. like, it's something else. Like, what is it? I don't know. Maybe you just don't know either when you're a kid yeah. what racism is. But Yeah. Um, I think, mm. I mean, maybe like I wasn't the victim of any particularly racist bullying as a kid. But I think some kids definitely definitely are. Mm-hmm. I don't know. What's your experience, Emran? Um, I'm trying to remember a time... Back in, back in primary school when I was mocked for my last name, Ng, which was mocked into English. I don't understand why that was such a <laughs> bad thing in hindsight. But um, I think it was more that I wasn't sure why they were picking on me in particular when there was like, like 12 other people in my class that they could have been picking on. Mm. And these are older students. Um, but I think it sort of goes both ways though, right? Because there's, well, there's no such thing as positive ne- uh, racism. But I remember in my final year... And I was a prefect, and I was wearing, I was decked out with the full kilt. <laughs> right. Um, and we were entertaining um, members from the diplomatic corps, and I think my school's way of showing how multicultural they were was to put up prefects in particular who were people of color, and like, look, these this is amazing Asian guy in a Kilton spot, and but in hindsight now I realize that is literally I I put on the clothes of a colonizer. Yeah. There was literally colonization there, um, <laughs> things like that. But also, um, when I was five, I couldn't actually speak English. English wasn't my first language, and I remember the first thing that my teacher well pretty much demanded that I do was learn English, but at the expense of my Cambodian. Mm-hmm. So now, for example, my English is obviously flawed. It's fine. But I've lost a part of my identity because I can no longer speak Cambodian, which is actually, I think, quite sad. So I've retained my ability to understand and to listen, but I've lost any ability to sort of speak out what I'm feeling. And I think that's entirely just because, um, you know, Scots is like, 
you don't need Cambodian, you will need English, so learn mm. English. And I think that's sort of my first intro into sort of what systemic racism is mm-hmm. um, yeah. in New Zealand. I think it's so sad, like, you know, having a part of your identity ever shut out or being encouraged yeah. to conform because you're trying to be a certain way. Because I know something I'm conscious of is we're talking about earlier, um, you know, before we started this podcast, about the prevalence of Asian food and restaurants in Wellington. And mm. if you looked at the restaurants, you'd think that there were way more Asians in Wellington mm. than there are because I think we're in a generation now where Asian culture, Asian food, Asian clothing style is cool. Mm. But it's part of it almost annoys me slightly because I know that there were kids who were probably bullied or picked on at oh, school because yeah. they had, I don't know, because they had food that looks different. Mm. I've, you know, I even recently someone had made um, a Chinese eggplant dish and someone else said, oh, that looks disgusting. Yeah. Just because it's, it's different looking. People, people would see different and think disgusting, but mm. now it's cool. And I just think it's little things like that that make you think your own culture is worse somehow. I think it also, playing into that, it's almost like um, Asian culture is a bit more almost like disposable, like you, you or transactional in the sense that when it's cool, you can buy into it you can appropriate it but then when it's not cool then you don't even want to be seen around it and it's so unfair that like you know as Asian people we have to grow up um kind of being always side-eyed a little bit I always felt like I was side-eyed for wearing certain clothes like my mum used to buy me clothes that looked more Chinese or whatever and I felt so like outcasted even as like a five-year-old I just was so embarrassed I would tell my mom like why can't you just buy me clothes from like pumpkin patch or something like why does it have to be like this um because I didn't want to be seen as different and it was so ingrained in me I I genuinely got angry I was like why do I have to be like Asian like why can't I just be like everyone else that was a genuine thought that crossed my mind when I was a kid because Mm -hmm. it's not that anyone specifically said to me like Emily why are you eating dumplings like no one said that but because, you know, like your food and your, your clothing and everything say something about you, you feel exposed when all of these people are looking at you differently because of it. Mm. It's very like, it can be quite hard to go through life like that. And it's so hard to see other people now looking at like Asian culture and being, uh, you know, appropriating it for their own use now, when back then we were made fun of it, mm. you know, mm. for yeah. it. So. I think... Actually, growing up, the thing that irritated me the most was that, was the fact that, um, you know, people weren't aware because of how they grew up and, like, our culture and, like, New Zealand culture or other um, Western countries is that they simply don't uh, know how good something is or won't like something because of what's been ingrained in them and what's mm-hmm. the norm and that they just need to be more, I guess open-minded to like accept that and I remember like you know back at high school or like intermediate you'd give your mate like something your mom cooked mm. and they're just like oh ooh, nah. <laughs> but they haven't even tried it and um that I think that was like one of the things that irritated me the most mm-hmm. especially when like oh sorry but um especially when your mom makes it and for you when you're at home you love it you're like oh I can't mm. wait for my mom to make like mm. like or something you know and then you come to school and it's so hard because these kids just have like sandwiches and stuff and you just kind of feel like (laughs) like it's just so boring like I'm like why would you want to have that but at the same time it's hard when 
they're looking down literally looking down on you because of it yeah. Yeah. I think one of the big themes that we're sort of touching on here is like the lack of tools that we have when we were kids right to be able to understand and to articulate reasons why we felt bad about being Asian or not but one particular story popped into my mind from the US about that little African American girl who was wearing a frozen outfit Hear that story? No, I haven't. There was a story in the US um, a couple of, well, maybe it was like a year ago now, and um, she was wearing an Elsa. Um, Elsa? She was wearing an Elsa, <laughs> um, sort of like you know, the dress from Frozen. And apparently one of the parents and one of, the, and one of her kids commented to her that she was a bit dark to be playing Elsa. Mm. And then apparently that girl went home and it was like in the bathtub trying to scrub away her black Oh my skin. god. And I think, like, it's like that. Like, she doesn't understand what the problem is behind what she's doing. But yeah. we now, with hindsight, are able to be like, that is racism. Yeah. And that's terrible. Yeah. But mm. I can just imagine being in that girl's shoes, right? Like, how are you supposed to react when your friends are like, oh, like, mm. you don't yeah. look white enough to be Elsa? It's awful. Yeah. And, like, I guess these problems all stem down and are, like, so much more prevalent on the younger people because mm. they aren't aware of it. But then it's the social norms and, like, mm. sort of... Um, what's defined as like the beauty standards like god no it's just it's what you're saying just reminded me so much of being little I, I once had a disney party or whatever and thinking what could i dress up as and then like of course like if i'm talking about it with people at school people be like oh you can dress up as mulan and i'm like mm. what if i don't want to be mulan <laughs> what if i want to be someone else what if i want to be sleeping yeah. beauty or cinderella mm. like one of my friends mm. works for a kid's party company and she because she's got blonde hair and blue eyes and dresses up as a fairy and i was thinking about that and i said to her like would they hire me like do they want like fairies that aren't that aren't like the pretty blonde yeah, fairy yeah. and i remember being a kid reading these fairy books shirley barber books oh, um they're, they're beautiful the arts books. beautiful but just being taught from such a young age that beautiful is is tall and skinny and blonde hair mm. and blue eyes and just being like why can't i look like that mm. and being so jealous of the kids at school mm. who just yes. did look like that and yeah. some of my best friends who looked like that and yeah. i would never be the pretty one because i was always just the the strange dark like yeah. haired person it's oh, out of yeah. your control yeah what are you gonna do turn turn into <laughs> yeah, <laughs> one girl's white yeah yeah, yeah. I feel the same way. I used to read Shirley Barber religiously. Um, <laughs> loved it. And I still do, but it's isn't it so interesting how something you can sort of fantasise about, because it's this fantasy world, right? You look at it and everyone's white. Mm-hmm. And not just white, but like pale and like this specific type of sort mm-hmm. of like elegant white person. And I always just thought that, you know, I had friends who were white and I always just thought, you, you guys will never know like how lucky you are. And it wasn't that, you know, I thought, um, I was less pretty than them or something, but I, society was telling me, you know, these people are prettier than you just on the basis of race. Like, I remember growing up thinking, like, when I, like, had a crush on a boy or something, I'd always just think, like, oh, like, he's obviously going to go for this other girl because she's white. Like, yeah. that was a genuine thought in my head, <laughs> yeah. which is so horrible. Yeah. But it's just, oh, yeah. it's, I don't know if you guys feel the same way, but nah, I always had that. Yeah. And, yeah, it's not... It's not great. And also, obviously, I don't know if this is just sort of my experience, but because my dad was white, whenever I'd go see my family, like my white family, it would be such a sort of experience of seeing my white cousins who all have blonde hair and blue eyes and 
seeing them and being like, I was so close to just having it, you know? Yeah. So close, but also so far, yeah. you know? And it's so sad because that's internalised racism against myself. Like, mm. I've started to really grow into being an Asian person now, but mm. at that time, I was just so upset that I couldn't be like that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah, but that's really yeah. hard because, yeah. like, I felt what you felt, but obviously I'm further away from it than you because mm. I'm not half white and I can't imagine feeling like that because I've been dealing with like that internalized racism and I hate it like for so long I didn't I personally was only attracted to white people because I thought that that's what that was more attractive but mm. then I had the same thing I was like they wouldn't like me that I'd imagine them with someone white and you know someone actually there was once a conversation I had with someone who at the time I liked and who I knew didn't like me and I said to him I was like you know I just imagine you being with someone white and he was like I see why you think that and then didn't contradict me oh, oh my no. goodness <clears throat> yeah mm. anyway that was that was an interesting experience that was some years ago but a lot of people do have racial bias, like when yeah. it comes to dating, particularly. Mm. <laughs> people also gatekeep, I've noticed. Like they'll say, you can't do this because of Asian-ness. Yeah. Well, you can't do this, you can't do that. You can't wear that because you're Asian. You can't, you know, your eyes look like this, so you can't do this eye makeup. And like, you can't date this person because you're of this race. There's a lot of people who feel very entitled to say that sort of yeah. thing. And they, they often mean it in like a you know pragmatic way like that's just how the world is as though we have to just go along with that mm -hmm. sorry i kind of like diverted no, from your okay. like dating well thing, like yeah as a dude i feel like that applies you know equally to us as well because you grow up and when the beauty standards and norms are like you know not you <laughs> you definitely feel a lot more like damn no matter how much how hard i try i'm never gonna reach that level mm. but like growing up and while struggling with that, looking back at it now, I feel like, you know, everyone does grow up fitting in and that just doesn't apply only to like Asian people or whatsoever. Mm. And not to say that like Asian people suffer like more drawbacks or I guess more diversity to try and fit in. But so much of that, like looking back now, if I had realized that, you know, like beauty is subjective, you know, what's to say one person defines what beauty is or the other and that I could have like if I had realized sooner to like I guess um embrace like who you are and your differences and that not necessarily do beauty standards mean that you are like mm -hmm. um not perfect or whatsoever I felt like that would have been really big for me back in high school and so I guess it's like yeah it's that whole growing up and this kind of like um culture that doesn't really fit you in that's like really um problematic i think mm. Mm. Agreed. one of my really good friends she did or well, she she is doing anthropology and she did a big essay on um beauty standards across cultures and it's and it seemed from her research that effectively it's always been to more to become more pale especially in asian countries mm. and i just can't help but think to myself how ridiculous it is that it's hollywood that gets to decide what is the beauty sound right it's what you mm. see in movies um reflected in the big blockbusters or the rom-coms etc um and i think there are two parts to that that we should probably or that i reckon would be really interesting to talk about and the first would be sort of the big elephant in the room with the guy recently who did the big mass shooting in the u.s mm. saying that you know he had an asian fetish etc 
And the second one probably be like, will we ever be seen as non-foreigners? Mm. Like, will, will we always just be the Asian people in the room who are living in New Zealand? Or will we ever come to a point where we'll be like Asian New Zealanders, um, etc.? Yeah. Oh, uh, something really interesting that that kind of reminds me of is um, so in we're learning about it in media studies. I think about how um, in the media they often portray Asia to be this like fantasy land. Mm. So especially in the past. So if you look back on like uh, what's that um, Alice in Wonderland? How they've got the caterpillar, and he's like very mysterious, mm. and he comes mm. from this like exotic world, and that's sort of how Asia was. Um, traditionally portrayed in the media so um there's this idea of like asians are always like a foreigner like it's a it's a whole different culture there's no similarity there is no reconciliation there's no understanding it's totally separate and i think that if you think about movies as well like think about like i don't know like rush hour or something it's this idea of like this guy being so different from the norm like so removed and i find that really interesting because I think there is like reconciliation, like there is understanding and people can actually engage in Asian culture without appropriating or mm. fetishizing it, um, which obviously is, is really, really problematic in our culture, the fetishization of yeah. Asian people, yeah. I feel like, yeah, like that obviously the, the Atlanta shooting was, you know, it's horrific and you can already see in the treat- media's treatment, like the sheriff saying, oh, the guy had a bad day. Mm. Like, yeah. is a bad day an excuse for, like, taking human lives? Mm. Um, we all have bad days, but mm. I think it's I think it's really sick. And I think the fact that he yeah. could use, like, a sex fetish as some kind of cover-up, because he clearly targeted, like, an Asian, yeah. an Asian spa. Mm. And there's been such a narrative of Asian women being these sort of submissive fetishized creatures mm, like yeah. with white men it's often it's yeah. always the asian woman who's the other woman who's the yeah. the affair you know like she's never the the main love interest and i think that i i don't know i just i just think that that's such damaging narrative that the yeah, media and movies really need to stop portraying mm. and similarly of how asian men they, they, they they've never been like the lead hero they've never been mm. able to be that lead male character and I think that that's so damaging as well and I think that when I think representation and the media can go a long way to normalize Asians just existing as human beings and that will help us become not the foreigner like I think it's really important to have Asian representation that's not just about being Asian yeah. like an Asian person who mm you know, just happens to be Asian, but they're actually also the lead character and they're a yeah. superhero and they're something and they're not got exotic powers or whatever. Yeah. They're just literally a normal hero, <laughs> yeah. but they're Asian. Yeah. There was that big Hollywood film, um, The Forbidden... The last forbidden, the forbidden kingdom or something. It was right. like Jet Li and Jackie Chan, like all these hosts of oh, amazing yeah. Chinese actors. I can't remember that one. And they just throw on this white guy as the lead actor because oh, they thought yeah, that they could no. draw them with Jackie Chan <laughs> and Jet Li. <laughs> and I was like, what the heck? These are all the biggest names in Hollywood who are Asian, and I think yeah. we should be celebrating the amazingness that they bring. And this like B class actor, yeah, you know, so yeah. he's yeah. white though, and yeah. he's the lead role. Next to Jackie Chan and like Jet Li. Yeah. <laughs> I think like Scarlett Johansson also portrayed a Japanese woman. Mm, she yeah, did. She and is. I can't, I don't even remember the name of it, but yeah. That's it's just gross. It's so gross. Um, yeah. 
was reading an article this morning. Um, Lana Condor, who's the lead actress in To All the Boys um, trilogy, she said that once um, her friend called her and said, hey, um, an actress pulled out of this movie. Um, it's, it's someone who's like scared of her past. Like it's this fully fleshed out character. Would you like to take the role? She said, sure. And then it turns out that the script writers are like, ah, oh, okay. So the, the actress coming into Asian, let's rewrite the character. So they get rid of this fully fleshed out normal character, replace yes. it with like this sort of, fetishized Asian stereotype like mm. why like why can't people realize that Asian people are people yeah, yeah. yeah. you know what's a funny one actually that I've kind of experienced is that like especially it's still now but like a lot of white chicks like start to like Asian guys but only because they have such a huge like k-pop interest <laughs> ah. <laughs> oh okay actually <laughs> Is K-pop, has K-pop done good things for Asian men? <laughs> because, like, on one hand, it's put them back on the map. Like, it, it it's has, people, it's, I, I do like seeing white girls be like, look at those Asian dudes, mm. they're so hot, because that never happened before. But at the same time, does it feel like fetishization for that it reason? It does, honestly. Mm. I, like, for me, it feels like they only like me because I'm Asian. And, like, it's, like, I'm more than just Asian. Yeah. Yeah. I think for me, it kind of, like, I'm not super involved with K-pop, but, like, from my experience with my friends who are, um, it's this sort of idea that, like, if they weren't Asian, things would be different. And I just think, as in, like, if they were, like, a different race and still, you know, singing in the same way and, like, doing everything the same way, that it would be, like, different, which to me is, like, the surest sign that, of course, it's about race then because it shouldn't matter what someone looks like. It should be about the art they produce, I think. It's interesting because, I, I mean, I think on an aesthetic level, BTS, yeah. like, is, like, seven of them, right? Yeah. They're seven, like, extremely attractive human oh, beings, yeah. right? But, like... Is it just that, again, society's like, these aren't real people. They're just these sort of beautiful singing <laughs> yeah. things. Like, is that kind of what society's doing to them? Mm-hmm. Also, to be, I mean, to be fair as well with BTS, they are seven pale-ass guys as well that fit the beauty standard of an Asian, yeah. Yeah, observative they, way. They don't really look like the average Asian <laughs> guys. Uh, yeah. well, well, I mean, the Korean beauty standard, I think, is a whole nother kind of world. Yeah. Actually, question, because, um, like, did you, I mean, I judged myself by Western beauty standards, but I know some Asian people who judge themselves by both, which is mm-hmm. almost even worse, because, <laughs> because I mean, Can't I think wait. the Asian beauty standard is also, like, yeah. sucks. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, I was always Western, yeah. but then I think recently, because, like, you know, Asian cultures come back, if you know what I mean, I'm like, oh. I guess I could, you know, like hurt myself in two ways. Then that's cool. <laughs> yeah, like that's like in a way that's even more unattainable because yeah. Yeah. I feel like yeah, like, I feel like I'm losing because like I'm like ah, oh, I feel like now that I've come to a place where I feel a lot more confident in my own skin, I can be like it's fine. Like I don't fit the Western beauty standard because of race, but that's fine. I can still feel confident in myself. But then there's the Asian beauty Asian. standard, and yeah. I could technically do it, but I can't still because it's still unrealistic. But it's almost yeah. worse because. Sometimes you feel yeah. like you don't fit both. Yeah. And it's just like, damn, like, wow. <laughs> <laughs> but, like, I feel like, you know, maybe it's also because the beauty standard itself is sort of a toxic kind of perception mm-hmm. to think of things, you know, because you should never think that because someone else is, you know, necessarily beautiful, I'm not beautiful. Mm. And so I feel like, in a way, I've kind of taken beauty standards instead as sort of like inspirations of like what 
some people try themselves, maybe you can try, but mm. it shouldn't be a way of defining, you know, how you feel about yourself or how you look. Mm. Definitely. Mm. I was thinking about um, sort of looking overseas now and sort of back to my time in Japan, and I remember the amount of students who would have like crazy haircuts, crazy colors, but you know, be everywhere at high school. And then the day of, or the day before their job interviews, suddenly they all go straight back to the stereotype, black hair, cut correctly, yeah. and they're just dressed up, you know, all perfectly, no longer whatever they would, were before. And I'm just thinking to myself how ridiculous it is that even within Asian culture that we have an expectation of what men and women should be doing, mm. what they should look like as well. Um, and I'm wondering whether or not you think when we think that would actually evolve perhaps in one day, um, that people won't expect women to be, you know, this domesticated kitchen mm. per person and men to be like this, mm. um, like 11 and oh, what would be like 8 a.m. to 11 p.m. businessman who doesn't come home the until bed three, three, eight, yeah. Yeah. yeah, I'd say that I, I reckon that maybe the West is ahead when it comes to allowing men to open up about their emotions. Mm. We're getting Definitely. there, I think, yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's a whole other culture of, like, Asian people show their love by the things they do, right, instead of mm. expressing it. But then so many, I think, first-generation um, Asians and other seem to struggle with that when you grow up in a culture where love is supposed to be expressed. Mm. Mm. And, mm. Yeah, I think that, like, um, something I've noticed is that when I'm around like my like Asian people, I suppose, in my Asian community as opposed to like my other like white community, is that it's a lot more about your um yeah, like what you do for each other that like defines you. Like when I go see my white friends, it's more like, Oh, like what have you done? Like, did you go for that job interview? Did you, mm. you know, mm. secure this? Did you do that? Like what you know, what were the things on the to do list that you told me about last time we met? Did you meet all those things? And it's just a different mindset like it's it's quite different um and I think that it, it's very indicative of a, a different culture obviously but I think more so it's um interesting that it's about values I think mm. it's about what we value and kind of in a colonization lens as well when you have like a, a certain group of people come to another country and say these are the values that we care about now you have to also care about them of course that's going to dismantle a culture because you are no longer practicing the the routines and such that compose your culture and mm. i think that that can be really damaging and it has so many repercussions especially in like asian communities because sometimes um you know for example like beauty standards like that was something that i think was kind of imposed by the west even in western countries i think in a way and you know, caring about that and other things as opposed to what we used to care about or, you know, when you're in a very pure Asian sort of mindset, mm. kind of like my mum because she's very Asian. Mm. Um, like, it, yeah, it, it just shows you it can be very harmful to, like, people's sense of self and identity. Yeah, it's definitely, I feel like, that aspect of just struggling with, like, you know, my parents show their love by the ways they do. I wish they showed their love more by expressing them. Mm -hmm. But then, you know, how do you get your parents to know that? And then, so, I feel like, yeah, that that is just a, a big problem that so many, like, first-generation Asians grew up with. 
Yeah. I think it's hard, like, when you grow up with more than one culture. Um, I guess, like, you become a hybrid. You, you pick what bits you like out of different cultures. And I think that can be a really positive thing. Yeah. But it is also hard because sometimes you genuinely just like aspects of one culture better than another. Mm-hmm. And, like, that's not wrong to have that preference. Yeah. Mm. And as someone, I guess, that experiences this new hybrid, there's not really many people you can share or talk to it yeah. about. And so it becomes kind of like a new path. Yeah. You have to venture out yourself. Yeah, I know. It's like what you said. Like, I remember my, um, like, my mum always said that, like, when I congratulate you, I really mean it. Whereas, like, I remember, like, after every sports game, I remember watching my white friend's parents just be like, you were incredible. That was amazing. And I said to my mum, like, why didn't you tell me I was incredible? And she was like, because you weren't today. Like, but when you are, I'll tell you. Yeah. And I was like, yeah, but, like, I mean, I wasn't. But I wanted to hear it anyway. Like, yeah. I think it is quite a white thing that, like, praise your child in any way, which, to be honest it's kind of dumb when I think about it but it's it's interesting you know like what you like the things that you want just because you see other people yeah. having them yeah exactly yeah jealous yeah. yeah but like if we didn't grow up around that then we wouldn't want mm. that because it's just seeing what other people have oh there are so many examples of that like you know seeing like white families I used to get jealous when um my white friends would bring like cake to school like a birthday cake or something that their mum baked I was like why can't you make a cake mum and she's like oh like I've never baked in my life like (laughs) you know because you just assume that there's something wrong with them because I used to genuinely sort of get like annoyed internalized sort of like racism towards my own mother because I was like why can't you just be like the other mums and like make me a cake and Mm. like give me a birthday party at chipmunks although she did do that one year but (laughs) like (laughs) like you know it's it's just um yeah it's a different thing and you have to put yourself in their head but having said this to end on a sort of positive note as well I'm so glad that I've had this hybrid life you know like I'm so uh, grateful that I've had to step into other people's shoes because I think it's made me more of an empathetic person mm-hmm. to be yeah, able definitely. to like look through someone else's eyes and as you were saying with like forging your own path or, like mm. venturing out like when you look through someone else's eyes through their path and it's completely untread it's such an interesting experience and not a lot of other people I think get that if they're mm. not exposed to different cultures like in a very immersive way that we have been so I'm actually quite yeah. grateful for that and you know like in a way much of our beauty standards or norms are set by people that have you know ventured out a lot and done a lot of successful things and become these like big figures in culture and I guess equally we can have those opportunities as well mm. and that might be you know I think there are a lot of um, Asian people like us now who are beginning to, you know, get big in a lot of sectors, like especially in the legal sector, mm-hmm. and do things like Elsa. And yeah, it's really interesting because, like, I mean, I feel like in a lot of ways, growing up being Asian felt like a real negative thing. There was frustration, there was anger, there was like mm-hmm. ex- feelings about racism. But I think now that I've come to a point where I see being Asian as something that's added to me rather than something that's less like I think it's as it's, it's an advantage not because society will advantage me because of it but yes like you said Emily because I'm a I understand better what it is to you know straddle different cultures I understand um these what is inherent in the system and how that can apply to other cultures too and I think it makes you a better more open-minded person and also more willing to 
try new things and embrace new things like it really annoys me when someone says oh i just don't want to try that like mm-hmm. i know that there's so much good out there that we haven't tried so i'm always wanting to try new things yeah yeah i, I guess from my perspective um I think it's sort of everyone's journey as they go through the law school especially of sort of deconstructing who they are mm-hmm. and sort of coming to the realisation that they can actually decolonize themselves and actually embrace like we have, embrace our culture mm-hmm. um, and sort of celebrate that and learn that new, that new way of thinking. Um, but one of the things that I've been really heartened by is sort of suddenly and finally making the connections between Asian culture and tikanga Māori mm. and that we're actually not that different and I think I take comfort knowing that it's not just Asian cultures in some nebulous land somewhere mm. yeah. in fantasy land right there are other cultures um, in the world who very much agree with sort of the way that we look at things mm. like respect for elders looking mm. out for your family and your friends things like that um, and I think with the shift in New Zealand's focus towards tikanga Māori I think there's also space in there for Asian people to sort of contribute to that and also to sort of bring along our culture this time where now mm. we now have the strength to bring um, to the discussions around the law school around that and in the law. Yeah, yeah, I totally agree. I think all minority people will share some sense of experience and I think mm-hmm. that, you know, we, we have so many similar values, kaitiakitanga, manakitanga, yeah. and I think that's, that's so beautiful. Mm. Mm. Okay, so well, on this rather positive note, we've all shared something <laughs> positive. I think that brings us to the end of this podcast. So if you've been listening, thank you so much. I hope you gained something or even felt a bit understood in your experiences or maybe learned something new. Um, I hope that you have a wonderful rest of your day. Bye. Bye.